Hey everybody, today on Unbeatable, you get a chance to hear from Brandon Young. This guy's got an incredible story, and I don't just mean a story of a soldier in war in Afghanistan, he's got that. I don't just mean the story of a leader who's figured out how to help people at the highest levels, he's got that. I'm talking about a kid who grew up under some really, really rough circumstances and it stuck with him for most of his life until a point where all of those things came to a head and he was in over his head and that's the moment that changed his life forever. You're gonna love this story from Brandon Young today on Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Hey, Brandon, thank you so much for being with me on this episode of Unbeatable. Hey, and thanks so much for having me on, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Um, we're going to go back, way back in your story and start. I want listeners to learn about who you are. And I think a good way for them to understand the kind of guy that I'm interviewing today is to go back to your childhood. Um, you got a pretty amazing parent. You got a pretty amazing mother, it sounds like, um, <laughs> because uh, she taught you about hard work. She taught you about grit and just what it takes to handle a really rough life, right? Working four jobs and yeah. trying to keep food on the table. Tell us a little bit about what life was like growing up in that single family house or single parent house. Yeah, my mom, uh, she really taught me a lot about uh, what it truly means to be unbeatable in life, I think, All right. uh, or at least laid some of the seeds of, of being unbeatable. Um, so I grew up in the Bay Area, California, and uh -huh. um, which, by the way, is an insanely expensive place to live, right? It is. Uh, you know, it was insanely expensive back then during the real boom of the 80s, 90s, um, you know, and we were really a in that world when my father was around and he was a really sick guy, uh, uh -huh. just a real, um, uh, just a real sick guy, you know, very abusive, uh, really pitted people against each other. And it was a really chaotic home. And then finally, uh, by the time I was 11, he decided to uh, clear out every asset that he and my mother had ever accumulated together and uh, take off. And so my mother was left. With, oh, he took the money and ran is what he did. He took every, he took the money oh. and ran and left my mother with a foreclosed house Holy in the smokes. Uh, hills of the East Bay, you know, during the eighties here. And wow. so, so my mother who, you know, high school educated, uh, hard worker, you know, grew up in a, in a real kind of salt of the earth, uh, Jewish home. Uh -huh. uh, raised us, you know, I'm, I am, I grew up in a non-practicing Jewish home. We didn't go because, uh, to synagogue because my father was just such a weird dude, I think. <laughs> um, and didn't like the idea of, you know, giving any money over. I think that's really what it was yeah, about. His, yeah. you know, his, his God was money anyways, and women, frankly. So, uh, that's what, that's the altar that he worshiped on all the uh -huh. time. But, uh, that's kind of how things the things went down. So at 11 years old, I you know I really became you know so close to my mother in terms of being almost uh, you know like an emotional partner because she was so wrecked and broken yeah, with sure. this. And you know, but she worked her butt off. She worked four jobs, uh, never stopped. You know, and I wow. was a free and reduced lunch kid, and yeah. Yeah. you know, just trying to kind of stay in, stay in. We had a lot of help from the community around us, but it just, 
it just always felt like everything was an uphill slog every day, uh, just growing up in that environment. And so um, by the time that I, uh, you know, graduated high school, uh, I just kind of wanted to, you know, get out and get to it. Uh, I should also mention that, you know, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a ranger since I, you know, had memories. Like, really, I always wanted to be a soldier. How did you, how did you learn about the Rangers? How did you decide when you were young that that's what you wanted to do? What, what was it that got your attention? Yeah. I mean, uh, so Commando, First Blood, G.I. Joe, you know, and, and I just think, I just think some people have, have that, you know, their heart is set to that azimuth. And I just always kind of grew up scrappy fighting. I was always fighting. You know, like I said, when my even when my dad was around, it was just a really violent and chaotic home. And so, you know, I had bloody knuckles like since I was a little guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it just seemed like the way to go. So graduated high school and, you know, went to went to uh, <laughs> Fort Benning on a uh, unassigned airborne infantry contract. And as I was in basic training, I was a platoon guide the entire time. Okay. Except Which for two days, somebody found <laughs> something in you that looked like a leadership, right? Yeah, I guess. Um, and so that was a that was that was a that was a treat, sort of. Uh huh. Treat air <laughs> so, quotes. Yeah, that was an air quote treat. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, about towards the end of the cycle, we got a new drill sergeant who had been in Third Ranger Battalion. Awesome. And Yep. And he says, uh, you know what, you know what, young, you should check out, you know, being a ranger. I said, oh, I, I do want to be a ranger drill sergeant, but I have to wait until I'm like a sergeant. He's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Who's giving so, you that bad information? Yeah, exactly. So long story short, he tells me when you get to airborne school, go ahead and volunteer for RIP. And I went there every day before formation uh-huh. I knocked on the door, uh, you know, uh, the gentleman's name was uh-huh. Sergeant Bessa. You know, I, I never met, never even saw the guy, but yeah. twice. Right. And I would go and I'd knock on the door and he was, he wasn't there. And then I'd go after and he wasn't there. He, was, uh-huh. he wasn't there because he was probably out, you know, recruiting people, doing yeah. his job. Right. So I, so Jeff, I would write my standard name line on notes or on his uh-huh. chalkboard and I'd put it underneath his, his, uh, his door and then, uh, as you know, two weeks into airborne school, they have a ranger recruiting yep. brief and they show the right. video and I, I write my name down on the piece of paper cause there he is. And I hand yep. it to him and he looks at the paper and he says, are you the guy that keeps putting his name on my chalkboard? <laughs> I'm like, Roger Sergeant. He had me on the front lean and rest the entire oh, briefing. Nice. Yeah. Hey, you and I yeah. took the same path. So I went to Fort Benning unassigned infantry. I'm at airborne school. I really want to go to the Ranger Regiment. And I remember that Ranger briefing while I'm in airborne school. And here's what I remember. There's a clipboard and they are asking everybody that's in the room, hey, if you're really interested, put your information on the clipboard. Like 200 guys put their name on the clipboard. <laughs> and then when graduation is over with, they come with the same clipboard and they're like, okay, I'm going to start calling names out and you guys meet me over here in this formation. He calls 200 names and I'm not exaggerating. Only five of us go to that formation. The other wow. 195 are like, you know what? I was, I, recon- I was reconsidered and I think I'm good. And I'm looking around like 195 of you just decided, I, I think their buddies told them, are you insane? Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> So exactly. I just remember that clipboard. I was thinking, I'm never going to get in. There's too many names on this clipboard. 
and it's so funny calling people out of the formation yeah jeff it's so funny you say that because i remember sergeant besso walking out on friar drop zone with that clipboard Uh uh-huh and reading out three names and i was shocked that i was one of them (laughs) i was like yes (laughs) i made the list yep yeah um so obviously you go through the assessment and selection process, which by now most of my leaders are aware, this is a brutal process with a really high attrition rate. And it's not designed to teach you so much as it is to just test you. Do you have what it takes to serve in the Ranger Regiment? And Brandon, you obviously have what it takes because you serve in the same unit for a long time. Tell me about your first few years in the Army, your first uh, you know, 10 years in the regiment. Yeah, so um, so I ended up getting assigned to the Second Ranger Battalion, and you know I always tell people that if, you know if you want to make it, you got to really know why yeah. you have to make it. Yeah. And for me, being a kid who was left behind by his father, um, I always had that hole that was in my heart, wondering what is wrong with me. And I just I needed to be somebody. I needed to prove that I wasn't a throwaway kid. And so I just, I took all the, all the beatings and, and, you know, the beatings came uh-huh. fast and frequent. Yep. And, um, and so I ended up getting assigned to the second Ranger battalion, uh, up in Washington state. Uh-huh. And I got up there and I was assigned to, uh, the black sheep, second platoon alpha yep. company, two, seven, five. And uh-huh. yeah. And I was the only guy that, you know, made that walk across the quad. <laughs> so <laughs> yep. And, and, you know, you talk about like the shock factor, the, the experience at Cole range in assessment and selection, what was then called RIP, yeah, you right. know, Ranger Indoctrination Program. Uh, it is, it is very brutal. It, it is, is yep. it is very tough. And you, you hear this when you don that beret and you put the scroll on, you hear this, that, you know, this was the easy part. Uh-huh getting to your unit and staying in your unit, that's the hard part. And, you know, most Rangers stay for about three years and, yeah. you know, they serve with honor and it's because it's a grind. Yeah. I is. ended up staying, you know, for just shy of, of a decade, uh, which was a real honor to be a part of that. But I remember showing up and it's you, just shock factor. Everything <laughs> hits you so fast. You're right. You know, I, my squad leader didn't talk to me for a month. Right. You know, and it was like, I, I ran like an 1130 yeah. on our first PT uh-huh. test two mile. And he's like, he, he said, like, you just might make it here, young, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and so, you know, but you just, you fight and you grind. And um, I was able to go to ranger school after about nine months. Uh, so it was fairly fast during yeah, that time. That's pretty fast. Uh, got my ranger tab, went straight through, uh, in the winter. That was another suffer fest, uh, winter, winter class. So um, I, I did that. I know what it feels <laughs> yeah. like. Yep. Proud, proud members of the white That's thread right. crew. Yep. I see. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just uh, trained and trained and trained. And so by the time the, uh, the towers fell on nine 11, now we're, you know, 2001, I'm a squad leader, at this point in time in the second range of battalion, yeah. I've been doing the do for a while and we've been training for so long and we were really, you know, ready. We were really hungry. Um, in the midst of all of that, I, I, I met a, uh, amazing young lady one night out in, uh, Olympia, Washington named uh-huh. Kelly. And, uh, 
Kelly and I had been dating for about a year and a half, and we were supposed to be married in December of 2001. Yeah. Well, um, her mother had a really aggressive form of cancer uh, come the fall, uh, summer fall of 2001. And when the towers fell, actually, she had just had her first round of chemotherapy and she was wow. in the hospital. Uh, 9-11 was her birthday. It was uh, her 53rd birthday and we did not know that it would end up being her last birthday. Wow. Yeah. So she went home uh, the day after from the hospital and she was on hospice care and she had a day of clarity on the 17th of September. Kelly and I called the Justice of the Peace over, got married in the living room of the house she grew up in. Two days later, her mother died. And uh, about five days later, I was in the Middle East uh, in Jordan. Wow. So, so it was that quick after you guys met and got are married that her mother passed? Yeah. 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 Two days after. Wow. Um, and then, of course, you don't have much time to learn how to be husband or wife if you're five days later um, on an airplane flying overseas and getting ready to take part in operations in Iraq and, or I mean, in Afghanistan. Yeah. And it was all it was all so fast and furious. You know, we were we were in Jordan. This was, you know, during the times when we were doing mm -hmm. the early Victor Bright Star. Yeah. Uh, the complexion of that changed immediately uh -huh. once the war started. You know, we we had part of Second Ranger Battalion was in Germany. We had then part of Second Ranger Battalion was in Jordan. Meanwhile, all the other battalions yeah. are starting to move and jockey, right. and nobody knows what's going on. So, um, yeah, it was just a it was just a it was an interesting time. And we were over there in Jordan. And we were thirty days into the deployment, and I was able to call home for the first time because, you know, everything was so locked down. Uh -huh. um, comms and everything was still locked down. So I called home and uh, Kelly said, I'm pregnant. And I said, of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> because on that our timeline, right. yeah, that just sounds like it would, that's, that's how it's going to work for us. Yep. Why not? <laughs> so, um, so Kelly was pregnant and, you know, carried the pregnancy completely alone. Uh, I was uh, gone. Uh, come nine months later, I was listening to my son being born from uh, Bagram, uh, yeah, Afghanistan. Afghanistan. So wow, man. Um, I got to talk to you in just a second about what it was like to not be at home on one of the most important days of your life. You know, uh, a son is being born and you're hearing it over a, uh, you know, a, a phone instead of in the room. Um, but before we do that, man, I want to go back because I need the listeners to, uh, I need to stress a couple of things to the listeners that you just said. One, serving in the military itself is a challenge. Serving in the Ranger Regiment is a challenge. And the pace is so tough. The assignment is so physically demanding that people just get busted up. They just physically can't handle it. And, and as you said, the average guy does two, maybe three years and they're gone. The fact that you were there for 10 years straight, man, that's that's very few people ever make it 10 years nonstop in that unit, um, which really sets you apart, by the way. But you made a statement a, a couple of minutes ago that I really need the listeners to hear what helped you settle on the Army. And if, if I can use these words, uh, find your way to the Ranger Regiment is not what you wanted to do, but why you wanted to do it. And I think I need I, I think I need you to explain that a little bit more to listeners, because most people are really, really following their what right now. I'm putting quotes around the word what. 
but they don't understand just how powerful the why is. And I've always, I've been convinced the why is far more powerful than the what. If you figure the why out, the what will take care of itself. If you figure the what out, maybe the why figures itself out. Maybe it doesn't, but the why you're doing what you're doing is far more important. And it sounds like for you, the why was, I had a really bad example as a father and I need to figure some things out. Can you just, as a leader and a coach of leaders, can you talk a little bit more about why the what your why is so important? Absolutely, I appreciate that. The understanding your sense of purpose, the why behind what you are willing to do helps the what fade into the background when it is particularly bad. Yeah, when it's hard, right? Um, Absolutely. You know, there, there is, if you don't know why you're doing it, then there is no reason to endure in that space. And, and, and endurance has its limits. You know, my, my business partner, Blaine Smith, who was a Green Beret, West Point uh -huh. graduate, uh, exceptional story as well. You know, he and I talk a lot about the fact that perseverance is greater than endurance and explaining it this uh, way. I'm writing so, that down right now. <laughs> so we explain it this way. You know, with endurance, endurance is built for when things are, are really hard, right? You have to endure. Think about all the endurance sports we have out there. And the way I best describe it is that when you start at point A, by the time you get to point B with endurance, you're basically a more tired version of yourself than you <laughs> yeah. were at point A. Perseverance is not the same. By the time you get to point B, you are a different person. You have grown. You have transformed to become the person that the situation calls for you to be. And I experienced that at different phases of my life in different settings, because my why, my purpose that was greater to transcend over the pain of being an abused kid, over the pain of being an abandoned kid, you know, over the pain of, of, of being an outsider on the inside, you know, living in a rich community and having a mother who was working four jobs and scraping away and being the kid that was getting free and reduced yeah. lunch and free yearbooks and all that kind of stuff. Like, you, you learn to be an outsider, but why, you know, the why right. kind of pushing through it was, was really the, the, the transcendent, you know, North star, the vision of, of what a brighter future could possibly look like. And, you know, I, I wanted to be somebody really is, yeah. is really what it came yeah. down to. Like, I didn't want to feel the way that I felt as a young man uh, who felt so damaged and, and unlovable. And so there was a shadow side and a, and a light side to it, to be frank, yeah. Jeff. You know, the, the, the light side to it is that one thing, you know, I, I, always, I always was born with a sense of strong justice. And uh -huh. I, I hated bullies, you know, and, and I hated being bullied because as being the youngest in a family sure. that is chaotic, you know what rolls downhill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I caught a lot of it, right? <laughs> yep. And so I was the kid out on the playground who would find the bullies and beat them up, you know? And, and be, so so the light side of it is that I wanted to be one of the good guys. Yeah. I wanted to be one of the good guys out there, and, and I wanted to protect people. The shadow side of it is that I unfortunately, you know, learned as a young man what I learned was that I did not deserve love. Yeah. What I learned is that everybody around me in their perfect homes and in their perfect mm -hmm. lives deserved love. And so I bought a lie as a young man that said, 
well, I don't deserve that, but I can defend that for these people. Yeah. And so for me, going through the pain at Coal Range, going through the countless painful road oh, marches, yeah. uh-huh. you know, the the damage. I mean, the nights where you were on a 30 mile road march with a machine gun yeah. and you had blood pouring out of the drain holes of your uh-huh. jungle boots. Yeah. I just I just couldn't stop for the first 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 part on the shadow side of things because I had been running so hard my whole life because I was running from the image of the lies that I bought as a kid. Yeah. And I, and I wouldn't stop because of who I had aspired to be, because as a ranger, I learned things like, like, Whoa, wait a minute. This, like, there's a place for me here. Right. You know, not only am I rewarded for my ability, you know, my propensity for violence and my, you know, (laughs) my adeptness at applying violence of action in the right form. But I also, you know, found a family for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. And and that became something, you know, the why I didn't want to let Vinny down or I didn't want to let Gillespie down. I didn't want to let these guys down and it just kept driving me. Yeah. Um, The guys that did really, really well in these very demanding, very dangerous jobs, especially special operations roles in the military, a lot of them came from broken homes or inner cities. A a bunch of them honestly came from the gangs and they found the family that they'd been looking for their whole life in the unit that they're now serving in. And as you just described it, their family became the buddies in their unit and the powerful why for them was i i don't want to let my buddy down so i'll endure anything including my own death not to let my buddy down which does some pretty amazing things on the battlefield but that's not the healthiest way to look at life right no Um, I just, I hope people are hearing from you right now. And and by the way, as you were telling your story, I was thinking a dad who abused you and bailed on you, a mom who's working four jobs, which means she's not going to be at home a lot to hang around you and nurture you. You're pretty much figuring out how to live life on how to raise yourself. Right. Um, which makes you very independent and very tough by the time you show up to the Ranger Regiment. I hope people are just hearing from you, man. If you're not careful, you will pursue your what and not understand the why. And if your why is just, I want people to respect me or like me, man, that's going to let you down. That's going to let you down really hard at some, you may, that may take you a long way, but at some point it's going to become completely shallow. So man, I'm learning some things. In fact, I'm writing some quotes down from you while we're talking today, Brandon. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> All right. So now you're in the Ranger Regiment for a while. Now we're, I want to go back to where we, we left the story. Now you're deployed and Kelly's having a baby and you're not home. And uh, that many of my friends have said is one of the toughest moments of their life when they, every fiber of their being wants to be in that room with their wife. But I'm halfway across the world on a battlefield in Bagram, Afghanistan, listening to my wife give birth over the phone. Can you describe what that was like, man? Yeah, so it was it was really tough. You know, the last thing that I ever wanted to be as a father was absent, and that was the first thing yeah. that I was. Yeah, because so that's that what you number grew up one, with, right? Hit hit me right in the heart. Um, I remember hearing 
Kelly giving birth to Jaden and, you know, the, the cries and the pain on the other mm-hmm. side of the line and just feeling like such a failure, an absolute failure yeah. as, as a father, as a husband, as a man. Yeah. Um, and I think that was one of those times in my life where, you know, you have those moments of, of clarity and you say like, what am I doing? Yeah. Why because, am I doing because, this to my family? Right. Why am I doing this to my family? And, 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 you know, the truth is that uh, I chose that. That's the truth. Yeah. You know, I, the lie that I spun and that I maintained for 15 years to Kelly is that I didn't have an option. I had to go. It's just, you know, I, I it's my duty and this and that, you know. But, you know, re- remember, this is, you know, this is now uh, the, the winter of 2002 was when yeah. things started to spin yeah. for Second Ranger Battalion. And all we had ever known at this point in time was, you know, the the operations that like you had participated in the, right. the just causes, the gothic serpents, you know, where mm-hmm. short time horizon, high op tempo, hit it and, and get home. Uh, the truth, Jeff, is that I was going to be damned if I wasn't going to go yeah. with my boys to with combat. our team to combat. Right. I was that's just the truth. And so. There was so many layers of shame bound mm-hmm. up in this because I'm a guy now, mind you, I'm 23 years old and I have, you know, a one family in one side and that is my, my family, Kelly and this baby that we have right. brought into creation together. And then on the other side, I've got my ranger family, which is the family that felt like, you know, the first family I had right. felt like yeah. I was a part of. And so I'm dealing with this and I, and I chose, you know, in the end of the day, it might not really have been much of a choice because who knows, but it didn't matter because in my heart, you know, I'll never forget, you know, Chad Jones, my platoon sergeant and I getting face to face and he's like, Hey, you know, we, we really need you. I'm like, I'm going. That conversation took five seconds. Yeah. Yep. And I think almost everybody that you and I worked with would have done the same thing. Um, A couple of years into the war, that unit started to realize just how important those moments were and started to say, Hey, if you want to stay home with your family, when they have that baby, we'll go without you and you can catch up later. And not every unit gave their, their people that option. Um, but that unit did, but early in the war for most people, that wasn't even an option. It was, uh, mm-hmm. you're going cause everybody's <clears throat> going, um, we need everybody. And especially leaders like you, um, losing you would have been really hard for the unit to, uh, you know, to, to handle. So you and Kelly um, go through a number of deployments together. By the way, we served for a little bit of time together at 2nd Ranger Battalion and did a mm-hmm. few deployments, like oh, more than a few deployments. There was a <laughs> three-year period where I spent more time in Afghanistan, far more time in Afghanistan and Iraq than I did in the United States. I told people I might as well just change my mailing address to here because uh, <laughs> I've spent more time here than I am back in Fort Lewis, Washington. Yeah. But at some point, it sounds like you and Kelly decided, man, we just can't keep this up. So you decided to transition. How, how did that decision happen? Yeah. So just to go in a little deep into those times, I ended up doing uh, a couple of rotations with the second Ranger battalion. And it took us to the place where we, we were out there in 2002, we came home, uh, deployed again the day after Christmas, 2002. 
And so come 03, we were over there when the war started in Iraq. Uh And so we got stuck. And so now we're stuck in Afghanistan, uh, essentially taking on 375's rotation. We're the lost company of Rangers, you know, Uh Seaco 275 out there, plus uh, Earth Pigs from ACO (laughs) 275. Um, And we're out there. And so meanwhile, back at home, I've missed Jaden's birth. I've missed, you know, essentially the first chunk of our marriage. Right. And uh, they keep getting the runaround. Your husbands are coming home. They're not coming home. They're coming home in two weeks. They're not coming home. This kept going on. And so Kelly is just getting the rope-a-dope and all oh, these you know, wives yeah, are, are getting these rough. horrible circumstances. Um, so when I got back from that one, finally, uh, in in uh, the summer of 03, I actually said to the command, I had been at 275 then for six years straight. Uh-huh. Uh, I was a weapon squad leader, one of the senior squad leaders in the battalion. And, you know... I was like, hey, I gotta, I, I gotta figure some stuff out, yeah. guys. Like, I gotta press pause. Can I go down to regimental headquarters in Fort Benning and be a part of the assessment and selection mm-hmm. team? Is there something we can do? So I got granted that. So we had orders. We're packing up the house. I go to work one morning in October with the house, you know, half packed up in boxes, and I didn't come home until December, and we got blown <laughs> out again for winter strike. So the battalion was notified. You probably remember that one. Yep. Uh, you know, as, as I like to call that the entire Ranger regiment over yep. in, you know, Nangalam, Afghanistan, uh-huh. which I would affectionately call Ranger rendezvous without, right. without beer and sports. Uh-huh. And so, um, and that was just devastating for Kelly and me. Yeah. You know, we, it, it was a process of keep getting a line of a thread of hope and then getting it yanked then then out. Yanked from, back. Yep. Yeah. Which basically Jeff was my childhood. Yeah. You know, one, one shred of hope and yanked back out from underneath you. Uh, we were over there. We took our first casualty for second Ranger battalion of Jay the war. Blessing. Jay blessing, a dear, dear friend who uh-huh. I had grown up with in ACO. Um, and you know, it, it was just devastating. So ended up getting back down to Fort Benning after all that, after we came home, you know, from that. Um, Kelly and I got a chance to, you know, have a baby with me being there. I got yeah. to see my daughter, Ellie, born. She was born at Martin Army on Fort all Benning. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, that's when I really started to think, like, this isn't going to, this isn't going to be able to work out. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't keep. I can't in good conscience keep doing this with my family and, you know, with the military in the state that I am in. Cause I was just not a healthy guy, yeah, Jeff, yeah. you know, I had been running, you know, so hard, so long. Um, you know, I, I, I just didn't know who I was and, you know, so we ended up deciding it's time to get out of the military uh, and fast, fast, you know, fast forward into 2009 mm-hmm. is when I actually exited the military and got into um, uh, commercial sales. So I yeah. was I was working in laboratory sales for Quest Diagnostics. Well, by the way, as you're describing that, I was sitting there thinking you're telling the story of 10 million men right now 
and and ladies, to be honest, who have been running nonstop since they finished school and went to work and they've been trying to hold a family together. But every second that I spend at work is is uh, make my family life is going downhill. And every second that I spend with my family life, work seems to suffer and I'm struggling to keep it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've said in every episode, and I really wish Kelly was part of this because I would tell her to her face, man, what the sacrifices that military families make, it's unfathomable for people that have never been in that world, just what they give up in order for warriors to go serve their country. And I'm talking children as well as spouses. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of really, really committed uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines get to the same point you do. And they decide, man, I, if I keep this up, I'm not going to have a family. So I got to transition. And you decide to transition at a really important point in your military career where if I stick around, I've got a retirement coming a few years down the road. Um, but if I'm going to walk... I better walk right now or else I won't have a family when I retire. So you go to work for yeah. Quest. Talk about yeah. the, the few years of, well, first of all, I got to just hear from you. What was, what, did it, what was it like to transition out of the military? Because for me, I thought it was going to be easy and it wasn't. Not nearly as easy as I thought it was going to be. Same for me, Jeff. Yeah. It was, I... You know, I was a guy who 11 years in, you know, I had made my seven and seven. I was a uh-huh. sergeant first class. I had all the bells and whistles, CIB, Master Blaster, Mustard Stain. You're you on know, the Pathfinder. way to the top. Yep. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm the man at the top, right? Yeah. And I just figured I'd jump from peak to peak, you know, like it'd be fine. I'll, I'll just, but I did not anticipate the rock slide and the valley that <laughs> yep. I landed in. And, um, you know, it, it was devastating on so many levels, devastating on a, on identity level, because I was so over identified as a ranger at right, this point of course. in time. Yeah. You know, um, I was devastated in a relationship context. I had been with the same guys for a decade and now I felt like I had cut my player card and I wasn't in anymore. You just lost and your first family, right? I lost my first family, and then in the midst of all of that, the the chaos that was unfolding inside my marriage, inside my family, I lost my second family in the process as well. You know, Kelly and I made all the mistakes, all the stupid mistakes that you make. Um, you know, with 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 this kind of environment where everything was just so unsettled and we essentially were moving in two different directions, you know, basically functionally almost divorced without signing the paperwork. Because at this point in time, you know, we had been together for almost 10 years and, you know, it was, I wasn't there for, you know, the first three years because of war. And then, you know, the field, I had been gone Uh for about 70% of our marriage. Even when I took the job at Quest Diagnostics, I took a job traveling so I was in a hotel three nights a week oh, and man. I was just alone. It was yeah. such a lonely, devastating environment. And and I, I felt like I wasn't wanted at home. I felt like I wasn't welcome in my ranger community. I felt like I was trying to figure out what it meant to be a professional and right. not really knowing how that works out. And, you know, drinking more alcohol than I should have. Of course. Not sleeping uh-huh. uh, in the midst of all that, Jeff. Yeah, and I and I and I will say like and I I really hope that 
any of our service members and veteran listeners will really truly hear this part. When I walked out, you know, the what you we all know the way the VA works is that you uh-huh. have to give them your records and say, This is what's wrong with me. I need help. And for me, having been, you know, a ranger all that long, right? That felt a lot like surrender. And as we oh, know, yeah. surrender is not a ranger word. That's word. right. Yep. Right. So, you know, for me, I basically went in there, I ripped out half of my med records that had anything to do with the psychological stuff uh-huh. that was going on with me. I gave them all of my musculoskeletal stuff and they said, well, you know, what's, where are you, what's wrong? And I've said nothing. I don't want anything from you Yeah, because I didn't because it is, it is an unreasonable expectation to think that somebody who is expected, these warriors that are out there fighting every day, we expect them to be indomitable. And then we ask them to be vulnerable the next day when they go to the VA. Right. Right. And so I was that guy. And what that what that equates to, Jeff, is in that season, right? So now let's talk. It's like 2009 through 20, 2010, 2011. Uh-huh. I was going undiagnosed PTSD, undiagnosed traumatic brain injuries, yeah. undiagnosed uh, sleep apnea, uh, musculoskeletal damage in my back, nerve damage, you know, all over the place. I had had four hernias. I had, you know, blown out my knees, my ankles, you know, you talk about the damage that is done, you know, rangering. I had gone through all of that and was receiving no care and no help with any of that. So every day, you know, was terrible. And frankly, I was just a mean bastard (laughs) and angry. Yeah. I, I hope veterans are listening to this broadcast right now because I know countless guys like you, Brandon, who did the same thing. They were so tough, so dependable in the military. And then when it came time to transition, they had to go to the VA and they had to say, what's wrong with me? And they said what you said, nothing. I'm good. The truth is they're not good, not at all, but they're really good at covering up the fact that they're not good. So of course, when you ask me if there's anything wrong with me, I'm going to tell you, no, I'm good. And it's only later when it's re- when the bottom drops out that everybody realizes this guy ain't good. And, yeah. and hopefully somebody's hearing you right now and they don't need to have to get to this point in their life before they stand up and say, hey, I'm not good. I need a little bit of help here which regularly comes up on this show. And I'm glad it regularly comes up on this show, because if you're going to be unbeatable, you're going to get punched in the face by life. You're going to get knocked down and you're going to have to admit that hurt. And I got bloodied a little bit. I'm going to get back up on my feet, but wow, that hurt. And I need a little bit of help getting back up on my feet. And uh, I need a little bit of help. That's really hard for warriors, especially guys like you um, and others, special operators, to say, I need a little bit of help getting back on my feet. In fact, man, as you were talking, I was just thinking, leaving the army is traumatic. Your entire identity is tied up in the Ranger Regiment, and now you're no longer a Ranger, which itself will cause many guys to go off the cliff. And your marriage is falling apart. And let's just be honest, Brandon, you and I both know guys that have put a pistol in their mouth when they got to that point in their life and they can't take it and they blow their head off. And I'm sitting there thinking, Brandon, there's something different about you, man. When uh, when other buddies of mine from the Ranger Regiment would have just said, I can't take it anymore and they kill themselves, you don't. So I think I just need our listeners to hear, why didn't you, man? Because this is the point where a lot of our buddies, mine and yours, would have 
they just said, that's it. It's over. I don't want to live like this anymore. How did you make it through it, man? Well, the truth is that for much of it, I, I, I had those thoughts, Jeff. I, 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 I yeah. thought about suicide. The truth is that the first time I contemplated suicide, I was 11 years old and I didn't want to live anymore. And the, the weird part about it is, is, you know, finding myself in the depths, even as a little guy, uh, I would ask God, like, what, what is going on here? Yeah. You know, and, and remind, I'll remind you, like, I'm a Jew, right? The blood in my veins is, 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 is Jewish blood. And, you know, the way that the, that our culture understands it is that if you were born by the womb of a Jewish mother, you're a Jew. Yeah. And so I had had that hammered into my head my entire life. Of course. And yet we would never talk about God, yeah. which was the weirdest thing, right? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? And yet all those nights, you know, in Afghanistan on target, I would be reciting Psalm 23, you uh -huh. know, because this is a Psalm of my people, right? A That's Psalm right. of David that we can, that we can go with, right? And what I would say is that, um, you know, there, there were nights I'll, like the night that we were inserting into the Chagall Valley during mm -hmm. winter strike and our MH 47 almost, you know, skipped its rotors off of the mountainside. And then before I know it, you know, and I'm the, I'm the chalk leader in the back looking out the back, you know, of the, of the bird and, and we're in a dead spin over the Chagall Valley out. And all I, and all I can see is ground sky, ground sky, um, you know, other buddies later would recount to me that, you know, they were literally hovering in the air. Uh -huh. Another buddy said he was crying, you know, in the back. And, and it's in moments like that, you know, when it's so bad that I, I, I just remember having the, the clarity of thought. I had two thoughts in that bird over the okay. Chicago Valley. Number one, I will never see my son again. That was the first thought. Uh -huh. Number two, God, please save us. God, would you please save us? Now, Jeff, I don't know how a double prop helicopter comes out of a spin. <laughs> I don't either. But it did. And I would recount moments like that, you know, even, even you know, fast forward into, into 2011 and think about like, there's got to be something. There's got to be. There has to be a reason why I'm still here. I shouldn't be here, but I am. And I would wonder what is going on there. What is the story? What is happening in the background right now that I don't see right. in, in some unseen space or realm that is going on here? Why am I still alive? Why did I not die? And Jay died or Dave died or right. Casey died and all mm -hmm. these, all these brothers, you know, why am I still here? And I would think about things like, you know, in 2006, I had the honor of participating in the best Ranger competition and, uh, you know, I was able to uh, go with uh, an amazing partner, Jeremiah Pittman, amazing human being and, yeah. and like man of faith. And Jeremiah and I, you know, in, in the train up, we would spend all these late nights on the backwoods of Fort Benning uh -huh. uh, and he would share Christ with me. And I'd be like, yeah, man, I don't know. Like I got the whole the God thing I'm good with this whole Christ thing. Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, and frankly, as a growing up in the environment I grew up in, my sick father, when he was around, he hated Christians so much. Jeff, this man would pay me money to beat up other kids. And he was particularly excited when it was a Christian kid. Wow. Yeah, he was a sick dude. 
right? And so, but I would I would think back to those times like Jeremiah and I, or or my platoon sergeant Jay Hall back yeah, in you yeah. know two seven five, you know, another strong man of faith, or Jim Mapes, uh-huh. and all these guys that I had known across the way who you know, they would talk to me and because we were family and they were, you know, we were in on the same family. And, um, you know, I, and, and I would think about like, I I think what kept me from really taking my life in that time was this sense of there's gotta be something better here. There's gotta be something greater here and holding on to the reality that like, I don't want my kids to grow up without a father because I know the damage that that puts on your heart. And so, you know, I, I kept going and kept going and kept going. Um, and I should just mention that, you know, it, it it wasn't a fairy tale story here, you know, Jeff, like the mistakes that I was making and I was so foolish because come 2011, I was so tired of this, you know, I was buying this lie. I, I'm not made for this world outside right. of the military. I'm made for, you know, having a gun in my hand and my hair on fire and flying around the world. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go out in a hail of hail of gunfire uh-huh. and that's fine by me because Kelly and these two children will then be able to have a father who, and a husband who is, who is, who is maybe set up for success. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not, not me. you like, I'm just made for destruction, right? That's what I'm here for. And so I was going back into, you know, a, a job. I was I was in a pipeline under a three-letter agency uh-huh. that had a very specialized unit. Um, and I was at the very end stages of it, right? So this is 2011 now. I've been out of the Army for two years. I'm like, forget it. I'm, I'm made for going back to this yeah. life. That door at the very last stage is slammed in my face. No explanation, no reason. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is crazy. Yeah. Right. Kelly was kind of moving in her own path and that door was slammed in her face. And I kid you not, the week later, my company Quest says, hey, listen, we tried Alabama. It's not working out. The Colorado territory is open. Would you like to go? I called Kelly on the phone. I said, do you want to go to Colorado? And she said, yes. I said, do you want to go to Colorado with me? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, we made the decision in 30 seconds. Uh huh. We cleared out our house and left Columbus, Georgia in one week. We were out in Colorado as fast as we could and got uh-huh. to uh, Colorado. And things started to change in the way that we were like, okay, we're in a different space and place. We're going to give yeah. this a try. And Jeff, we got invited to come to a church service. Uh, uh, a colleague at a gym said, Hey, you know, do you guys want to come to my church? And Kelly and I actually were in this place where I had been seeking for a long time at this point, trying to answer the question, like, why am I still here? Uh You know? And, uh, and we get invited to this church and we show up and it's like mega church. I'm like, what (laughs) the heck? Right. What do I do with this? Right. And Kelly immediately looks over at me and she's like, I am so sorry. I don't know what to do here. But we sat down and, you know, we listened and it was like, huh, like, okay, this is cool. And we came back and we came back and we came back. And after four weeks of coming back and and again, I had been doing years of searching and asking and seeking and wondering and saying like, what, what do I make of all this? Um, we gave our lives to Jesus 
in March of 2012. Wow. I'm sorry. Yeah, March of 2012. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah, I just want people to hear this. You grew up in a Jewish home where it was very anti-Jesus. So for you, this isn't an easy, uh, nor is it a highly emotional decision, right? Like there's been a lot of thought and a lot of, uh, not thought necessarily, but a, a, there's been a lot of, of um, incidents that bring you to this point in your life, right? Yeah, big time. I mean, this was... This was a very big mountain, so to speak, you know, for me to yeah. crest. And and the truth, Jeff, though, is, you know, to answer the question of like, how, how did I get, you know, how do you get through it all? I, you know, I knew that there had to be, I knew that there had to be a reason why God saved me. Yeah. And I didn't understand what that was. And, and then here I find myself, you know, completely broken. The life that I tried to live on my way, the world's way, the marriage I tried to have the world's uh -huh. way, you know, was, was in shambles. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where Christ met me in my pain. And, and it was, I mean, everything has changed since then. It hasn't, I'm not saying everything's been easy since yeah. then, mind yeah. you. But it has been one step of faith forward, you know, as we have gone one right. by one. Yeah. And if you're anything like me, it may feel like one step of faith forward, two steps back, sometimes, uh, you know, an entire, you know, a mile back and one step forward, but still, yes. you know, learning and growing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I just want to point this out, man. What I'm hearing you say is at the point where you realize I can't handle this anymore, I need help. Jesus supernaturally stepped in and he started to take over for you. And that's when things really started to change, right? Absolutely. I think, you know, I think about, I think about suffering, you know, in, in many ways, like you, you, you have suffering occur, something, some situation of suffering occurs. And, and for me, much of my life felt like it had been highlighted by suffering. Yeah different episodes of suffering. And then you learn to survive. You know, it's like the second stage, so to speak. The second stage being this survival. And I think that uh -huh. what happens is that we get stuck in a cycle of suffering and survival many times as and and that's and that's not the best life that God has for us. Right. God has more for us. He you know, he you know, Jesus came to bring life. Right. You know, to the fullest. To the right? fullest, right? That's right. Go read John chapter 10, verse 10. Yep. Amen. That's and and so that is that is right there. You know, when when I think about, you know, I was surviving, I wasn't living. And so many folks I think end up there. And and I'm and I'm saying that because I, I get it. I've lived it. Right. I was surviving. But, but the point of, you know, transformation, that growth, right? So, so now we're kind of enduring here, uh -huh. right? But in that, instead, if we're going to persevere, that point of transformation, you know, which I would say is where growth is, is you go from surviving to surrender. And surrender being that, you know, epoch in a life where you say, I cannot do this on my own. I can't make this on my own. Christ, will you enter into this space and walk some hard miles with me? Will right. you save me? 
And that's where, you know, you, you then go from suffering to survival to surrender to salvation. Yeah. And salvation then becomes, you know, the, the launch point, which I think then lets us, ushers us into an opportunity to live on mission, you know, with Christ for the good of right. others. Yeah. That then leads to a life of significance. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. I hope people are hearing you right now. Look, nobody wants to be in this stage of life that you and Kelly are in where we're just surviving. Man, we're working as hard as we can just to keep our head above water. And no matter how hard we try, we're not keeping our head above water. We're, we keep going down. And when you finally get to that point, it's no fun to be there. But when you get to that point, you you, you start to look for help. And like you, that's exactly what happened to me. And I reached out and I was just... I needed supernatural help. And that's where Jesus met me because I had no choice but to surrender. I'm going under. And as hard as I try, it's not working. So help me. And when I got to that point, he stepped in and radically helped me like he helped you. And I hope every listener hears this, man. He'll do the exact same thing for you. But you first got to get to the point of absolute surrender. And that's where he steps in. Yeah, I, I, I want to make a I'd love to make an observation here. So, you know, as a as a young late 90s ranger, I, I, I want to make sure and I hope you don't mind me doing this. Sure, Jeff, go for like, it. Everybody knew who Jeff Struker was. <laughs> everybody. And so the guy who was, you know, the 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 Panama vet, the guy who was the Somalia vet, the guy who was first at best ranger competition like you were one of the heroes and 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 I, what I want to make sure people are also hearing is this and even you had to surrender Absolutely. to Christ you're yeah. as tough as they come you are you know the archetypical you know ranger you're you're a ranger legend you're a guy in the ranger hall of fame right and so you know even for for a guy like you to be able to say that like that is the truth that I think is right in front of us all that many of us don't want to yeah, accept. I agree. There is a reason that there that you have been built with this this part of you that you cannot fill. You can't fill it. Not with not with accomplishments, not being, you know, at the top of the top, not with all the badges and the ribbons, not with sex, not with drugs, not with alcohol, uh-huh. not with money. Nothing is going to fill that hole because it is operating on a spiritual realm. Right. And that is the way that we have been knit together as the image of God, yeah. mind, body, and spirit. Soul. Yeah. And you have to get that soul aligned with the creator because all it is doing is it is trying to find its way back home right. to its creator. And that's where surrender comes into play. Yeah, man, that is really well said because a lot of people are trying to fill that hole right up right now with alcohol. They're trying to fill it with the next promotion. They're trying to fill it with more relationships. And I'm talking a girl hoping that guy is going to treat me right and make me feel about myself the way I want to feel. Or that guy who thinks if I have sex with another girl and another girl mm-hmm. and another girl, it'll fill me up. And it doesn't. And nothing that physically, tangibly, even emotionally, this world has to offer is going to fill that hole up because that hole was created by God to be filled by him and him alone. So everything else is just going to leave you empty. Try it as much as you can. It's just going to leave you empty. And there are many, many examples of this all through history. You know, uh, 
contrast is a powerful educator. Yeah. I lived 33 years of my life outside of God's, all right. you know, best for me. Uh-huh. I did it all, Jeff. I have done it all. Yeah, the book of Ecclesiastes, right? You, that's you, right? That's right. And I will tell you this right now. I'll take Christ. Yeah. So if you're if if any of our listeners out there, you know, are hearing this, like I get it. I've uh-huh. been there. You know, I chased the alternatives. Doesn't even come close. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, and <laughs> min, no, and I'm saying many many people would say the same thing. Like I I literally had it all. Um, I think of Deion Sanders, the, the enormously successful athlete who wrote the book Money, Power, Sex, and he said in that book, "I had money, I had power, se- I had sex, and I was ready to drive my car off a bridge and kill myself because it left me so empty." And then I found yep. Jesus, and that filled me up. And the money, power, sex, all of it doesn't really touch what Jesus has done for me. Hey, Brandon, I got to get to this point now. Man, it's not all unicorn kisses and fairy dust after this, but it, but God does start to do a work in your marriage, start to do a work in your life, and things start to look different. Um, so take, take us on a very short journey of now um, you start to transition and eventually you end up uh, helping to lead a very uh, important nonprofit before you step aside and you and Blaine start Applied Leadership Partners. Kind of give catch us up on, on how you got to where you are now. Absolutely. So come 2013, I had felt like uh, God was pulling my heart in other directions. At this point, I had been with Quest for um, five, six years. I was Mm -hmm. a sales director making boatloads of money. And uh, I had this sense of like something else is God's pulling me somewhere. I feel like my mission mission field is about to change. Um, And so I kind of resolved, you know, this, uh, I I would love to deploy my, my skills that I've learned in leadership and in um, uh, revenue development. Uh, At the time, I was leading a $30 million district and, uh, and see if I can help my people, you know, go back to the tribe and help veterans. Um, A week later, I'm I'm not kidding you, a week later, after I had resolved that, uh, Blaine Smith, who at the time was the executive director of Team Red, White, and Blue, Team mm-hmm. RWB, reached out. Now, Blaine and I had met as sales reps at Quest. And uh, he said, hey, buddy, you know, like, what do you think about coming over and trying to help us do some revenue development and some leadership at the exec level? And I'm like, I don't know anything about nonprofit. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I think you're going to be great. So Kel and I uh, prayed about it. And uh, we took a 60% pay cut and took a job and upstart nonprofit. Uh, when I got there, Team Red, White, and Blue was, I think we had somewhere around 30,000 members and we were really just starting to pick up steam. Uh-huh. Um, when Blaine and I, by the time we left, you know, three, four years later, um, we had 212 communities, uh, 150,000 wow. members. And uh, our mission was to enrich the lives of America's yeah. veterans by yeah. connecting them to their community through physical yeah. and social activity. So did that for a while. Um was a blessing, uh, did some really good research on that, published uh, an Enriched Life Scale with Dr. Caroline Angel and, and right. some other teammates, uh, which ended up getting picked up by the Department of Defense, uh, which which really started to dig into this health, people, and purpose equation to get upstream. So uh, before you get to the nasty pistol-in-the-mouth moments or uh-huh. you know, sleeping with the next person you who will sleep with you, 
Um, and so from there, uh, actually left there after a while, went to work at Colorado's oldest nonprofit, the Tennyson Center for Children, working with mm-hmm. abused and neglected kids. Um, I should mention that in the midst of all of that, I, I finally went back to the VA and I finally told the truth. Got some help. Got some help um, and started to get a lot of treatment for, you know, some of the stuff that I have experienced over, over the years and what is lingering with me. And, um, and, uh, so at the, again, I felt God tugging me in a different direction come, uh, 2018. And so, uh, or 2018, 2019, uh, and I, I left the Tennyson center with no real plan, uh, other than I felt God pulling me to apply to Denver Seminary, uh, yeah. where I started a Master's of Divinity with an emphasis in leadership. Okay. And shortly thereafter, Blaine and I reconnected, and one conversation turned into many hours of conversation, which turned into a plane ride to Tampa. And um, at the end of it, Blaine and I just said, you know, we have to do this. Uh, yeah. We have to start this. And we started a company called Applied Leadership Partners, and our, our entire emphasis is to come alongside leaders that are doing great work out in the world and help them be more effective and sustainable in their practice. And we do that by deploying sound leadership wisdom. Uh, I deploy my masters of divinity with an emphasis in leadership into the marketplace every single day. All right. Um, and, and just really help folks to, you know, develop as leaders and to improve team cohesion and build tighter knit, higher performing teams and and strengthen the culture so that they can not only be effective, but they can be effective sustainably for the long haul or in other words, so that they can be unbeatable in their own context. (laughs) Well, so applied leadership partners has been together now for a couple of years, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And how are things going for you and Blaine? They're going very well. Um, we have had the opportunity to work with leaders uh, from you know the top military special operations units to uh-huh. uh, you know Fortune 100 companies. We worked with the team from Thermo Fisher Scientific that was on the front lines of deploying the COVID test in the wow. midst of COVID. Wow. We've worked with local nonprofits. We've worked with insurance companies. We work with anybody who is interested in wanting to be more effective as a leader and 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 who is really what we call hungry and humble. Yeah. So basically people that are serious and not just giving lip service to this, that's who you guys are working with right now. That's right, Jeff. And you know, we we you know, look, the the leadership development space is a 127 billion dollar a year industry. It's a very crowded space and and yeah. Blaine and I just look at it and say it's great that you have all this stuff are you applying it? Yeah. Are you actually deploying these principles in space? And we don't give people scripts or anything like that. Um, we do coaching, we do keynotes, and we do leadership development with executives and executive teams, um, all the way down to frontline leadership teams. And you know, we create a common leadership language. We create alignment around that, and then we give people frameworks that are actually yeah. useful, so that you can actually deploy sound leadership wisdom in your environment because the thing about it is is that look you know people aren't math problems people are people right right so there's no equation that you can apply to every single person there's no script for leadership we want to empower people with the principle we tell a lot of stories 
from 25 years of leading both in the military and special operations and also in the commercial sector, mm-hmm. you know, in, in big business, in startups, in social impact. We've gotten a lot of looks. We haven't seen it all, but we're able to bring, yeah. you know, a combined 50 years of leadership experience translating what we learned in the special operations world into the business world with results. Um, I mean, Blaine and I have generated over $200 million of revenue for the organizations that we've worked with over the last 12 years. And so we bring that into context in a way that helps folks to deploy it within their business so that they be more effective in their mission for their customers. Yeah. And a lot of people who are hearing this right now are interested. And and when this episode ends, we'll put a links in the notes to your LinkedIn and your Facebook page. But you guys are also you've got this very active blog that's uh, generating a lot of interest. Tell people how they can find your blog and tell them what about your website so that they can just go find you, um, search you. Appreciate that, Jeff. You can go to appliedleadershippartners.com. And when you get there, uh, you can take a look around and you can find our blog very easily in that uh, we've got a number of, of pieces that we hang very routinely that cover, you know, some of these factors. You can find Perseverance is Greater Than Endurance there and hear right. a little bit of story about uh, Winter Strike 2003 and yep. the, uh, the episode of my life that I really learned that in, which, you know, we are in the process of, of writing a book. And that's going to be one of the key components of that book is just telling the story and not in a way for, you know, look, I'm not asking people or trying to teach people how to be, you know, rangers in Afghanistan right. in 2003. These are just stories that are windows that open up, you know, new insights or new windows into eternal truths for people. Yeah. Because, man, this stuff has been around for millennia. Right. And it is our it is our incredible opportunity to steward people in the way that they can maybe see it through a new site. So you can go to appliedleadershippartners.com. Check out our blog there. You can also find us on LinkedIn uh, at just look up Applied Leadership Partners on LinkedIn. Uh, You can find us on Facebook as well. We host uh, a number of videos and and things like that there. And, you know, we would just love we love meeting uh, new people and new leaders who are out there doing great things in their in the world and in their community. Um, Say hi to us. Connect with us. You know, we'd love to have you on the team. Yeah. And if you're driving right now and you didn't get a chance to um, write those links down, we're just going to put them in the notes to this episode. So all you got to do is just check out the notes and you'll have the links right there to LinkedIn, his website, Facebook. Um, I hope that you, everybody who's listening um, just stays uh, connected so that when their book comes out, you're ready for it. Um, I want to wrap up, Brandon, by um, a statement and a question. The question first, because this season on Unbeatable, I'm trying to just help the audience get to know you as a person, um, not just your story. So here's the standard question I'm asking all of the guests this season. Hypothetical, let's say you got one day, no responsibilities at work, no responsibilities at home. There's no big project lingering on the horizon. You can do anything you want, anywhere you want with one day. Where do you go? What do you do and why? I'm going to a beach. All right. With my wife, with my wife and my kids. Um, And I'm just enjoying the time with them and just being together with them. Uh, it doesn't matter what we do. I just want to be on a beach, sitting back and uh, being with my family. 
Hey, Brandon, I just got to say this because I don't let a veteran go on this podcast without taking a moment to say thank you for serving the country. Thanks for what you've done for our freedom. Thanks for what you've done in the Ranger Regiment and for the way that you're leading leaders right now. Much appreciated, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and would you also, just on behalf of the whole unbeatable army, would you tell Kelly thanks for the huge sacrifices that she's made as well? Absolutely. Much appreciated. Hey, guys, I was so inspired by Brandon, and I hope you were, too. In fact, I wrote this quote down while he was talking, and i it's going to stick with me this week. I hope it sticks with you, too. Perseverance is always greater than endurance. And just being able to handle and survive the tough stuff that you're going through doesn't make you a better person. It just makes you a more tired version of yourself. No, it's when you actually learn from it, grow from it, that's when you become a better and a different person. Brandon fired me up today, and I'm going to carry that quote around with me all week long. I hope this episode fired you up too. And I just want to say thanks for joining us. Hey, if you found us for the first time, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform? And if you're not already doing it, why don't you follow us on social media? Whatever your favorite social media platform is, LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it, just search at Unbeatable Podcast and follow us. But I also want to know, I've got a free resource. I created this actually when I was in the Rangers working with Brandon and then retooled this thing specifically for you. It's called the Unbeatable Army Survival Guide. And this guide is just packed full of quotes and motivational thoughts to help you get up and get off the ground when life has punched you and knocked you down. It's totally free. It's a PDF download. And all you got to do to get it is just go to unbeatablearmy.com. Thanks for joining me. I hope Brandon inspired you. And I'll see you right back here next week on Unbeatable. Unbeatable.